Thank you. Well, today I'm starting a, a brand new series, and I've just entitled it The End. It's on prophecy. And um, prophecy isn't meant to scare us. Prophecy isn't meant to frighten us. Prophecy is meant to encourage us. And when you read the word and the testimonies about prophecy, what you're reading is God's way of encouraging the church, of cheering the church up during the times of tribulation that they were going through. Many people are going through in the world today. So as we go through this series, we're going to be looking at what theologians call last things. Now, when I was growing up, I got to be honest with you, prophecy scared the stew out of me. These pastors would be come in with these charts that was as wide as this platform. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A few of you. And the descriptions that they would give would be so horrific. Then when I became a young man, I found out there was a lot of controversy about prophecy. There was a book that came out. As a matter of fact, I had surgery the year that book came out in Atlanta, Georgia, and I read the book in the hospital as I recovered. And that book was The Late Great Planet Earth. Anybody ever heard of that book? Yeah. They made a movie out of that book. It was such a bestseller. Then there would be all kinds of weird things that would happen. And one day I told my wife, I said, this just, I just can't read the spirit of fear into prophecy that I hear people talking about. And I'm not questioning their motives. Please don't understand me. I think their motives were to get people to come to Jesus. But I said, when you read these prophecies in the context and in the circumstances that the church was there, this is good news. As a matter of fact, the more I studied prophecy, and I really for years would not preach upon it. I just finished a series. I preached the entire book of Revelation. And um, I think there are like 27 messages and outlines, um, really thorough outlines that, that I prepared that you can find on our website. And it was, you know, I don't mean this irreverently, but it was a blast. And those of you who went through it with me, it was a blast. We it just, it, prophecy is meant to encourage us. Now, I'm not saying there's not warnings there. There are warnings and prophecies. But the warnings are for people who haven't given their hearts to Jesus Christ or for people that are living lukewarm lives. I mean, they're casual Christians. They're not serious about their faith. But for those of us that are passionate followers of Jesus, prophecy, it's a wonderful thing. So I was stunned. We made a little brief Facebook video, and it was viewed, seen by almost 4,000 people, but watched by over 2.2 thousand people just in our community. Just in our community. Which means there is an interest in the coming of Christ. Now, that's people who watched it in our community. I've got messages from people from 
out of state and other parts of the country says, we want to get copies of these messages you're going to be preaching. But that tells me that your neighbors, Addison, they want to know about this stuff. Tom, that tells me your patients want to know about this stuff. It tells me that I've got people in my life that they're really curious about what the end is. And prophecy is good news. It's good news. All of the gospel is good news. Can you say amen to that? And so I, I just wrote a little something. I, I hope you'll just don't think it's too trite. I don't like trite sayings, but when it comes to prophecy, I, I, you know, I try to preach the whole Bible to you. The whole Bible. We want you to know it all. So I want to prepare you for the coming of the Lord as well. I want to preach and prepare. It's why I did the whole series on Revelation, and I've preached on this before, but I just wrote a little statement. Don't be scared. Be prepared. Amen? Don't be scared. I mean, I was scared as a young person. I, I can remember one night there was a loud, I mean, I'm a young man. I'm, 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 I'm in college. There was a loud pop of thunder. It woke me straight up, and and I first thing came across that mind, my mind was, that was the trump. That was the trumpet of God. I've missed the rapture. And I knew if anybody was going into rapture, mama was going into rapture. So I crept down to mama and daddy's bedroom. I was home from college. And there they were in bed asleep. And I was like, I didn't miss the rapture. Now you may laugh about that, but see, that's how afraid I was. Anybody in here, you know what I'm talking about? Sure. I find people all the time, they're really frightened by this. So I want to share with you a verse of Scripture that in the first service I lied and had to correct myself. I said, I've, I've read this Scripture in over a thousand cemeteries. No, I, I've read it at over a thousand funerals, but I don't know how many cemeteries I've been in, but over a thousand funerals I've shared this passage of Scripture. So would you stand with me this morning and I want to read you one of the most encouraging statements. And, and by the way, as I go through this message, remember the worship song. And again, the music was so powerful this morning. Remember the worship song we sang. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever would believe, say that word with me, believe, and that's better than hot chocolate on a train at Christmas time. Whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Just put your faith in Jesus. Believe in Him today. Well, now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what happened to the believers who have died now, Paul had planted this church, spent quite a bit of time with them. Somebody came in and confused them and scared them that the people who had died had missed the rapture. So he's writing to say, no, they haven't missed the rapture. That's the context, the background here for this. He said, we want you to know what happened, will happen to believers who have died so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died, and was raised to life again. We also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. In other words, their bodies have died, but they're with Christ. Paul makes it very clear. 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. One time he said, you know, I would much prefer rather to go on home and be with the Lord, but right now it's good for you that I remain and, and work among you. And so, I want you to think about that song. I want you to stay in good health because our community needs you out there feeding the hungry, sharing Jesus Christ. We need you. Amen? Amen. 
So eat healthy today. Exercise tomorrow. <laughs> okay? We want you to know what happened to the believers who have died. They're going to come back. God will bring back with him the believers who have died. Notice, he just wants them to get this. This isn't from somebody else. He says, we tell you this directly from the Lord. And then they already believed this. I mean, the rapture was, they just took, yeah, they knew that. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. Now, the last time you read about Jesus giving a commanding shout was at Calvary. He said seven things on the cross. The next to the last thing, the sixth thing he said was, it is finished that he had completed the work of giving his life, sacrificing his life to redeem you and I from sin. And the next time we hear a commanding shout, it will be when Jesus comes again. And I'm feeling just a little bit this morning like the Father is playing with the rapture handle up there and Jesus could come at any moment. There's a sense in even your unbelieving neighbor's heart, they know something's happening in our world today. The Lord himself will come down with heaven, from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. Now, that may not mean much to you, but to a Jewish person, that meant a lot. The trumpet sounded for war. The trumpet sounded together for a meeting. The trumpet sounded for the feast of Israel. The trumpet sounded for a celebration. The trumpet sounded for the assembling together at the tabernacle and then at the temple. I mean, I could go on about the trumpet. When they, this was good news. I mean, they knew something big was about to happen. When I think about the sounding of a trumpet, I think about my favorite trumpet player, Louis Armstrong, Satchmo. Anybody know him? He can't play a horn, nothing like you're going to hear in the future. <laughs> With a commanding shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God. And first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Their bodies will rise. And together, we with them who are still alive and remain on the earth, we will be caught up. Say those two words with me. Caught up. Say it again. Caught up, that word is parousia, it means to be caught up. It's the word we get rapture from. So when we think of rapture, we think about feelings or enchantment or wonder. But right here, this is where we get that doctrine of rapture from. We'll be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and then we will be with the Lord forever. Read this last sentence with me. So encourage each other with these words. Read it again encourage each other with these words. One more time. Encourage each other with these words. Prophecy is meant to encourage us, not to scare us. Amen? So join me in prayer right now. Father, thank you for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to explain it this morning, but Lord, my spirit, my little boy is jumping up and down inside at the thought of your return. Oh, I pray to be alive, to see that, to be present for that moment, to hear your shout again. And I ask you this morning that you will encourage us as we look for the next four weeks at this theme of prophecy and what it means to our lives and to our children and grandchildren. For it's in your holy name, Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. 
Well, I promise you, as I promised those who were with me on the Wednesday night series when I preached that series, we're not going to deal with froth. We're going to deal with some very clear and certain truths from the Scripture. And um, this morning, I got a good illustration of that. Pastor Corey had a, a slide up for Cappuccino Christmas, and in the first service, you know, I, I just kind of thought, wow, that's a good illustration. Uh, we're not going to deal with some of the frothy items. I, I'm not a big cappuccino drinker. Pastor Corey likes them. Pastor Mark, how many of you like cappuccinos? Can I see your hands? Quite a few of you. Uh, to me, it's just a waste of space. You got all of this foam, this bubbles on top. And I know that's really good stuff for those of you that like it. But the good stuff is actually underneath the foam, you know, the coffee is under there, the espresso. So I just like to skip the frothy stuff and get right to the good stuff. Are you tracking with me this morning? So some of these things that, that I'm saying are frothy, it's not that they're not important. They're in the Bible. I dealt with them in this series, and you can find out what we had to say about that if you, you know, listen to the messages online from the series. But, you know, we're not going to get into a lot of things about Israel. I, you know, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in Israel. I'm so thankful for the people he's brought back to the nation. You know, we're not going to be dealing like with the rebuilding of the temple and the 144,000. And those are important things, but that's not the message of Revelation. So we're going to deal with some very clear and certain truths here. Paul wrote this because somebody had confused the church about something that's still around today people call soul sleep. I Actually, I get asked by people that sometimes when I'm preparing for a funeral. A family member will say, Pastor, do, have you ever heard about soul sleep? Is that what's happened to my mother or to my dad? I go, no, that's not what happened to your mother or your dad. You know, that's a very old era that goes way back before the New Testament times where, you know, people just taught that the body was, that the, when you died, you went to sleep. But the Bible's very clear as, we, as I shared with you while I was reading the text that, you know, when we die, we are going to be with the Lord. We will be if I can use this, it's probably not the best term during the Halloween season, but disembodied, disembodied, not disemboweled, but disembodied, we will leave this body and we will go straight to heaven. But there will come a day when our bodies, we just read about that, we will get our resurrected, glorified bodies. And I'm telling you, the older I get, I can't wait for my new body. Can you say amen to that? I mean, sometimes there are things I'm aching in places I didn't know I had anymore. And, and I, recently, they put me on some new stretching exercises because of all the muscles that had to be cut out of my stomach and sides a few years ago. And uh, man, I was so sore after doing the exercises, I couldn't move for three or four days. And I thought, I ain't doing that anymore. And then it dawned on me, if I refuse to stretch, I'm not going to remain flexible to play with my grandsons. And so I got back at it. But I just remember doing that. I said, Jesus, I can't wait for my resurrection body. And the thought was, do you want to go today? And I went, nope, I'm having too much fun right now. So, you know, the fact is we're going to get a resurrection body. We don't go to sleep. We actually go to be with the Lord. And, and, and when you think of that, and you think of rapture, I, I've tried to think of how can I illustrate rapture to you because especially when I talk to my unbelieving friends and they, they say, well, I just, I just can't get, why, how is it that God is going to take believers out of this world and leave everybody else as not believers and there's going to be this time of tribulation? I said, you know, I, I, 
we can get into that, and we'll talk a little bit of that in this series, but if you're worried about how God will take us out of here, I says, have you ever heard the story about a man named Philip that led an Ethiopian eunuch to the Lord and the Scriptures? And most everybody that I talk to, they've heard that story. If they hadn't, I take them to the Bible, I read it to them. I says, you know, suddenly the Lord, and it's the Word, catches him away, and he Instantly, he appears somewhere else. I mean, it's not like beam me up, Scotty, or something like that in Star Trek where you just gradually disappear and then you gradually reappear. It's just like instantaneous. God takes you, boom, and you're in another location. And when that commanding shout and that trumpet happens, you and I who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be caught up in the air to meet the Lord, and there we will be with him forevermore. Can we give him a big hand of praise for that this morning? I really, really look forward to that. So I often tell people, if you really want to understand prophecy, there are three things. You need to have a hunger for the Bible. These are not in your outline, but they are on the app if you want to go and look at the notes later. You've got to have a hunger for the Bible. I mean, you've really got to want the Word of God. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you've had a taste of the Lord's kindness. When a baby gets hungry, a baby cries. All four of ours, you know, they cried and we fed them. And there needs to be this quality in our lives that we cry out for the Lord. How many of you are going to eat today? Can I see your hand? You're looking forward to it. You're hoping this message won't be long because you're thinking about what's in the oven. Come back to church and let God feed you first, okay? So the thing is, I I have a little motto in my life. No food in my tummy until first I've got the Word of God in my spirit every single day of the week because I need that more than I do my physical food. And yet, if I were to ask you, and I'm not because I don't want to embarrass anybody, how many of you have already read the Word today? How many of you spend any time in prayer today? You know, we worry more about the physical food that will pass away, and Jesus says we live by the Word of God. We live, listen again, we live by every Word of God. I love fried chicken. I'm going to have fried chicken this afternoon. It is the gospel bird. I mean, you can find it there when he preached, when Peter denied the Lord. I believe it's biblical to eat fried chicken. But I need the Word of God more than I need fried chicken and mashed potatoes and gravy today. Somebody say, come on, victory with me. I'm going to get short here in the sermon. Well, number two, you've got to search the Bible. You can't just gloss over it. You've got to search it and read it. Search for them as you would for silver. Speaking of the words of God and wisdom. Seek them like hidden treasures. And then finally, treasure your Bible. I mean, know that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. No one has ever proven the Bible wrong, and they've tried over and over and over and the Bible stands the test of time. The book of Job says, I have not departed from his, God's commands, but have treasured his words more than daily food. Treasured his words. Now friends, as we talk about the end, as we look at these series of messages, I promise you we're going to deal with certain truths, but we're not going to deal with superficialities. But you need to know this. On an average, on an average, There is one reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ for every chapter in your Bible. That doesn't mean there's a reference to the coming of Christ in every chapter of your Bible. But on an average, that's how many references there are for every chapter that's in your Bible. There is 
a prophecy about the coming of Jesus Christ. How many of you think that's a pretty big deal in the Bible? Can I see your hand? So I think that just is really, we've got to study this. We've got to know why it's such an encouragement. So there are three great things we're going to deal with. We're going to deal with the coming of Christ. We're going to deal with the resurrection of the dead. And we're going to deal with the eternal state. Say them with me. The coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal state. Let's do it again. The coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, and the eternal state. Now, teach your neighbor that. That's the best way to learn is to teach somebody else. So, look at your neighbor and teach them that this morning. You can cheat if you need to look at the screen. The Thank you so much, Professor Saunders. Good job. Did you get that, Dr. Gilreath? Can you repeat it for me? And you didn't even cheat. You're a good doctor. You're a go- I asked Pastor uh, Rick this morning, have you called your doctor yet? When he called me, and he says, no, I don't want to wake him up yet. So I just, you know, I let him know you're probably already up. So what I want you to know is we're going to deal with just three things. Now, prophecy, the Bible also says, if prophecy is preached right and taught right, prophecy bears witness to Jesus. And what is one of the things that Jesus is known for saying when he comes to a group of frightened or troubled people? He says, fear not. Say that with me. Fear not. So my job is not to scare you this morning or to scare you in these coming weeks, but my job is to encourage you. When I was a little boy, when I was a little boy, I can remember him saying this, things can't get any worse. How many of you heard that when you were a child? I got news for you. Things have gotten a whole lot worse. And you know what? When I go back and I talk to like Faye and Roy this week, the the 90-year-old couple I was telling you about, I said, did they ever, and we went all the way back into the 20s, you know, talking. I said, did they tell you when you were little, things could never get worse? And they started laughing. And we started talking about way back in the 30s and 40s when things couldn't get any worse. Well, friends, it's not that things can't get worse. Things can get much worse. But there is coming a time where there's going to be a consummate conclusion to history and time as we know it. And for those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, it's why we call the coming of the Lord the blessed hope. Say that with me. The blessed hope. It is the hope of all believers. So here's some things I want you to know as we get started. Number one, Revelation is about Jesus. Revelation is about Jesus. I love learning about Jesus. I love coming to know Jesus better. I pray with people in the name of Jesus. I I go into hospital rooms and businesses and meetings and every chance I have, I try to let people know that God is for them, that God loves them. You see, when I've discovered sometimes people don't like the church because the church hasn't always acted like Jesus. Sometimes people haven't liked me because I haven't always acted like Jesus. But what I've discovered is the more we're like Jesus, the more likable we become. Can you say amen to that? And so when you read Revelation... It's all about Jesus Christ. I mean, you got to remember, John is on this island called Patmos. They tried to kill him and they couldn't, so they exiled him to a, a prison colony on a rocky island to have him do hard labor, hoping to kill him. And so you've got to know that this was an encouragement when God gave him this book. Look at Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 with me. The revelation of Jesus Christ 
which God gave to him to show his bond service, the things, and you and I are his bond service, we're his sons, but we're his servants, the things which must soon take place, and he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bond servant, John. There are three things that I taught our congregation as we went through Revelation. Number one, the book is about Jesus winning the world for himself. The book is about Jesus winning the world for himself. When you come to the end of it and all the rising and falling of different kingdoms and empires and you see those predicted hundreds of years, hundreds of years before even the first one began to happen, you see those predictions come about, you read the predictions of Israel, you read all of the prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ and the impossibility of those being fulfilled, you see that despite the warfare we're in, Jesus wins the world for himself. Number two, Jesus gives us prophecy to inform us and prepare us for the end. Books, I mean, books like Matthew, where we read about the Beatitudes, we understand how to live our lives with one another, we understand the character of our lives, but when we go through tribulation, when we go through difficulties, then one of the reasons that we have prophecies to encourage us, Jesus is going to win, and if we're in Christ, we're going to win. Can you say amen to that? Have you ever heard anybody say, I read the back of the book and we win? This is what they're referring to is because in the revelation, Jesus wins the world for himself. Now, sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, Pastor, do you believe the church is going through the tribulation? And I'll go, well, that depends on which tribulation you're talking about. They go, what? There's more than one? And I go, yeah, Jesus says everyone who lives for him is going to suffer persecution. Everyone who lives, if you're a passionate follower of Christ, you're going to suffer tribulation. There are people in the world today that are being hunted down and murdered and slaughtered because of their faith in Jesus Christ. There are people in our community that I have firsthand knowledge of and I have met who have given their hearts to Jesus and their families have kidnapped them and taken them back to the Middle East because they don't want them associated with Christians and they're trying to get them to recant and deny their faith. I have met some of these people. You need to understand the fact that we're not aware that tribulation is happening in our community doesn't mean there aren't people genuinely suffering for their faith in Jesus Christ. Fact, I have a very good friend who was dismissed from his job for baptizing a man in Christ, baptizing him in water, and was dismissed from his job, not because he baptized on his job, not because he preached on his job, but because his employer is not a Christian and did not want that in his uh, place of employment and fired him from his job, and God has made this believer land back on his feet and given him an even better job, because when you are in Christ, it doesn't matter what weapons of hell are thrown against you, you have been made more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Can we give him a hand of praise? You need to know that. Don't be weird. Don't go out and be boastful, but be bold in your faith. And the third thing that Jesus gives us a revelation, because a lot of people who aren't Christians read it, and maybe you're listening to me today, and you haven't decided to commit your life to Jesus, but the reason he gives us the revelation is so that we will choose life. We will choose to believe. If you believe in him, you will have eternal life. Look at what Paul wrote in the book of Colossians chapter 1 and verse 11. May you be made strong with all the strength which comes from his glorious power so that you may be 
able to endure everything with patience, you are more than a conqueror. If you can stand the pulling, God is going to pull you through. Amen? That's what the Word is telling us right there. And with joy, I mean, not with us, oh God, it's so hard, it's so hard. Christians sang in the Colosseum as they were being slaughtered. Christians knelt and gave God thanks that they were counted worthy to suffer in His name. The apostles and the early church gave thanks. Doesn't mean they looked for it. They prayed that it wouldn't happen. But friends, we are not a bunch of whiny heinies. We are passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And so we look these things boldly and with joy give thanks to the Father who has made you fit. It's not a matter of you making yourself good enough for heaven. Jesus makes you good already. He's made you fit to have your share. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to share. You got to share. I got to tell you something. When it comes to banana pudding, I want my share and then some. Right? Have you ever heard the story about the mother that gave a big piece of cake and a little piece of cake to her two sons and says, now, I want you to be like Jesus. And the big brother looked at the little brother and took the big piece and says, you be Jesus today. <laughs> you know, when it comes to the things of God, I'm a little bit greedy. I want everything he's got for me. But you've got to share and look at it. God has reserved a share for you. Even if you've not put your faith in him yet, he's waiting on you perhaps this morning to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I commit my life to you. I know that you died and gave your life so that I could be saved from my sins. God has a share for you that he's reserved for his people in the kingdom of light. It is not a kingdom of darkness. It is not a kingdom of depression. It is not a kingdom of defeat. It is the kingdom of light. And Jesus is the light of the world. And prophecy bears witness to Jesus Christ. Let's give him another hand of praise this morning. God is good. You're getting stuff the first service didn't have time for this morning. Number two, revelation refreshes and reinforces my faith. Revelation refreshes and reinforces my faith. I mean, when I read the revelation now, and I take off these things of of seeing, you know, all, you know, trying to interpret all of the, 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 the visions and things and certain parameters, but I just first of all read it as the word of encouragement that Jesus meant for it to be to those seven churches and those seven pastors, and there's a blessing. How many of you like to be blessed? Can I see your hand? You know, I, I don't want to be cursed. I want to be blessed. And Jesus said there's a blessing. If I preach it and if you read it, there's a blessing. So, this, when you read it in that context, suddenly it just changes your whole paradigm about prophecy. Now remember, John is on a prison island. He's suffering for his faith. He misses the churches. And he wrote, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet. And in just a moment, I'll share with you who he saw. But he had to be encouraged. Maybe John was tempted. We know he was struggling with the same things you and I struggle with. Maybe John was tempted. I'm on this penal colony. I'm in this prison camp. I'm in this concentration camp. The church can't help me. Nobody can help me. He's an old man. He's about to die. Maybe he feels alone. Maybe he feels abandoned. Maybe he feels like nobody cares. Maybe you're there this morning. You feel alone. You've, you feel like nobody cares. You feel like there's no one that's really there for you. And even when a human being can't touch you or help you, 
God is always there. And can you imagine the encouragement when suddenly John was aware as he worshiped on the Lord's day that the Spirit of the Lord was with him even on this rocky island, even in this prison camp. It wasn't the Holiday Inn. It wasn't the Marriott Inn. It wasn't your camper. He's in a concentration camp, an old man forced to hard labor, and yet God is there. You may not be delivered from the storm, but God will always carry you through the storm this morning. And that's why prophecy was given to us, to refresh us and reinforce us. One of the reasons that I pray for Israel all the time is the Bible says that there's even a day coming when Israel is going, their eyes are going to be open, and it's happening now more than ever. So many people are coming to know, Jewish people are coming to know Jesus Christ. Now, my Jewish friends that I, I have lunch with and I talk with, I don't ever try to force my faith. I don't ever try to just point out witness to them. They ask me questions. I ask them questions. We're building relationships. We're building trust. You know, I, so, and, I, and I know this is going on on the internet. It's not my job to try and convert a Muslim or my job to convert a Jew or my job to convert a Hindu. It is my job to bear witness to Jesus Christ. The anointing of the Holy Spirit, when you receive power, you will be my witnesses. Can you say amen? And prophecy is the spirit of witness. And so I welcome those questions. Last year, last, last summer, Becky and I had the real privilege of getting to meet and have lunch with Jonathan Kahn. We're going to be meeting him again uh, in the spring of this year and, and having lunch together again. And Jonathan, who's written a number of bestseller books, is a prime example. Jonathan is a, is a Jewish person that has given his heart to Christ, come to know Jesus, having tremendous impact among the Jewish people of our world today. His books continually just rocket to the top of the bestseller list. And friends, when I see these things happening, what that tells me is that the end is almost here. I believe, I'm going to live like the world's going to last another thousand years, but I really believe in all my heart that it won't be long until Jesus Christ comes again. There's just too many things happening. But listen to this passage from Zechariah chapter 12. Then... Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. Now, this is an end-time prophecy. That's why I'm reading it to you. They will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as an only son. In other words, their eyes are going to be open. They're going to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. And they will grieve bitterly for him. It's for a firstborn son who has died. Romans 9 makes clear God still has a plan for national Israel. God, it's not outside of Jesus. It's not separate from Jesus. God loves them. The apostle Paul demonstrates his great love for them. But listen to this. In chapter 13, he says, And on that day, a fountain will be opened for the dynasty of David and for the people of Jerusalem, a fountain to cleanse them from all their sins and impurity. That day is coming, beloved. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise for that? There is no place where the name of Jesus will not be honored. So as I wrap this up this morning, and give me just a few more minutes to wrap this up, I want you in this series of messages, and I want you to bring your friends with you, I want you to see Jesus like you've never seen Jesus before. And this to me was like fresh bread from the ovens getting ready for this message. Because John did not recognize Jesus. When he saw Jesus, he didn't recognize him. Now you've got to understand who John was. There was the 70, there was the 12, there was the three, and then there was one called John the Beloved. Jesus' closest earthly friend, maybe outside of Lazarus. 
John, who the Bible tells us the night of his betrayal laid his head on his shoulder. John, who Jesus looked down from Calvary and and committed his mother into John's care and says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. John didn't recognize Jesus. And for some of you this morning, your vision of God is too small. John saw Jesus raise the dead. John saw Jesus heal the sick. John saw Jesus preach the gospel and walk on the water. And yet here he is on this prison colony, the most difficult point of his life. It's not the way you want to die in your 90s. It's not the way you want your life to end. You want to be surrounded by family and loved ones and friends. And Jesus shows up and John didn't recognize him because he saw Jesus not in his earthly form, but he saw the resurrected, ascended Lord and all of his glory and honor. And God wants you to know that God is bigger. Christ is bigger than any problem, mountain, thing that you could tunnel through or not tunnel through. Our God is able to handle whatever hell throws your way. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? He's big. John writes, I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe. Let me catch my breath. I promised myself to talk quietly this morning. I did in the first service. I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe reaching to his feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now, you need to go listen to this message online from the series because there's symbolism to all of this. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. Friends, I just get chill bumps reading this right here. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. That's the word that he's going to deliver. And his face was like the sun Shining in its strength. Now think about that. You can't look at the sun. The sun which gives off light and heat and yet never loses light and heat. The sunlight that we wish we could feel today in Michigan. The sun that gives off light. The sun that throws off heat. Jesus' face is shining just like that. And he said, when I saw him... I fell at his feet like a dead man. He didn't recognize him, and he placed his right hand on me. And he says those favorite words, fear not, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, and I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and hell. Friends, only believe in Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. It's not what you and I do to save ourselves. It's trusting in Christ and in Christ alone. Would you stand with me this morning, and let's give him one more hand of praise and thanksgiving for all the God has done in our lives. Hallelujah. 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 Holy Spirit of God, we bless you this morning. We bless you. And we thank you for the book of Revelation and Daniel and Zechariah. We thank you that peppered throughout the epistles and the gospels, there are all of those prophecies of your return, Lord Jesus. 
And we're to encourage one another with these words. Lord, I thank you. God, that perhaps for the unbeliever or the person this morning that's really taken a casual approach rather than taking up their cross and following you, that these may be words of warning, but God, they're words of love. They're words from you to say, don't be deceived by the things or the powers of this world. Put your faith in me. God, you have a plan. We're going to look at that plan. Things aren't out of control. And so, Jesus, I'm encouraged today to know you're in charge. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, I'm just going to ask you, right where you're standing right now, would you consider... I know I've been enthusiastic this morning, but friend, there aren't many things that light my fire like this does. I want you to know, Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. He did it because God's reserved a share in His kingdom just for you. Heaven is going to be more glorious than anything you could ever dream or think. And he's given you this opportunity this morning just to say yes to him. I believe. And cross as it were a line from your old life of sin. That's where we do our own thing rather than follow the Lord. And to say, Jesus, I trust in you. And I want your plan and your will for my life. And sometimes people ask me, how do I do that? And if you're asking that, then it's real simple. Just pray with me. Mean these words from the bottom of your heart. You say, Pastor, is it that simple? It's that simple. It happened for a thief on a cross. It happened for a woman who knelt at his feet. It happened for a tax collector. It happened for a centurion. I'm telling you, God will save you and give you a brand new life, a life of joy. And there are so many people here that will share that with you. Just pray this quietly. You're not talking to me or talking to anybody else. You're talking to God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that I can call you Father. You're off the charts in love and goodness. You're over the top in grace and mercy. I've never known that before. I don't understand why, but you gave your son. He died for my sins so that I could be redeemed. I believe in you, Lord. I believe that the shedding of your blood paid the price. That's what redemption is, friend, for my sins. 
I don't understand it all. But I ask you to be my Lord, to be my boss, to be my ruler. And as much as I can and as much as I understand, I commit my whole life to you in Jesus' name. And friend, if you did that, even the angels are rejoicing in heaven. And Christian, if you've been taking a casual approach, if you've been just saying the name of Jesus, but you know the Holy Spirit is convicting you, would you just stand there right now and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I don't want to be like Demas who forsook you because the things of this world meant more to me than Christ you meant to me. Hallelujah. Can we all just lift our hands to him now and let's just thank him. He's coming back. The early church used to just pray a prayer, giving to God, giving God thanks for the return of Jesus. And would you own your own words to say, Lord, come back soon. Lord, come back soon and help me to bear witness to you in these last days that I'm living in. And I thank you, just thank him that prophecy is good news for those who believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now you say, Pastor, what do we do with a message like this? When Peter was writing about the coming of the Lord, he gave us three things to do in light of coming of the Lord. He says, first of all, be earnest in your prayers. Be earnest and be disciplined in your prayers. Go ahead and put that on the screen for me, Adam. Be earnest and be disciplined in your prayers. I mean, don't let a day go by you're not praying. And I'm not talking about just doing like a five-minute, you know, Father, we love you, da-da-da. I'm talking about throughout the day. Just be praying. Pray for me. Pray for these needs in our prayer bulletin. This is the third week I told you. I know and believe with all my spirit God is getting ready to do something different at Woodland. There is a sense that this is a new season coming upon us of His power working through us and in our community. Not weird, but just the power of God and Jesus being born witness to, but the foundation of that is going to be prayer. And my prayer is that our prayer service is going to become our larger service of all because people are seeking God. We're already seeing miraculous answers to prayer. Number two, he says, continue to show deep love for each other. Love one another in your small groups. And understand this, we're doing this because Jesus loved us. I'm looking out at you, and I love you. Aaron, I can't wait to hear about your trip and hiking Colorado's Grand Canyon. I love you, buddy. But I had an epiphany moment this week praying over this point. I love you. I love the pastors, and I love the board of this church. I love you. But I would not give a one of my children. I would gladly die for you. I would. I'd gladly lay down my life for you. But I could not give my son, my daughter, my grandsons for you. Does that make sense? I'll never understand the great love of God that Jesus saved us from our sins. So he calls us in light of that. We should deeply, not just, hey, I appreciate you, man. You're good. We need to love each other. And finally, he says, serve one another. Serve one another. And it's a joy 
when I hear from people of how small groups, when I go to the hospitals or places like I did this week and can say to our community leaders, Woodland is here to serve you. We're not asking for a thing. And when they call, it's because you serve. That's what you do in light of the coming of the Lord. I love you. God bless you. Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, make your wonderful and glorious face to shine upon us. Lord, give us good success in bearing witness for you this week. Make us prosperous and productive in all we do. Lord, may no weapon formed against anyone in this congregation prosper. And when the enemy comes against us, may he have to depart in seven different directions because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church looking for the return of the Lord. For it's in your name I bless the congregation today. Amen, amen, and amen. Give him a hand of praise.